1: the Irish of Notre Dame. (laughs) Good! Arike Ogunbowole wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus, fighting Irish hockey. They score!
4: Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7
1: Darren Pritchett.
4: Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the program. Kickstarting a brand new week. It's a week in which we do not have any more regular season college football. We're now off to the Conference Championship phase of the college football season. A week in which the Irish do not participate as an independent. We'll find out the college football playoff matchups and all the bowl destinations and opponents coming up on Sunday. Although it sure seems like Notre Dame is trending toward the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville on December 30th against an SEC team. Like South Carolina, boy, they're on a roll. Mississippi State, Kentucky, we'll have to wait and see. Hope you had a terrific Thanksgiving. We appreciate you joining us as we broadcast live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. And as we speak right now, I'm turning on the cameras here in our studio so you can watch the program live on our free Twitch app application. And you can get that by going and getting the free Twitch app. Search Sports Radio 960 WSBT and you can watch me sit here and talk sports here on 960 AM WSBT. Of course, we're going to recap Notre Dame's 38-27 loss to the University of Southern California Saturday night at the L.A. Coliseum. Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated, my Game Day Sports Beat co-host, he will chime in at 5.30. We'll hand out some game balls from the Notre Dame loss to USC. We'll talk more about bowl destinations. We had a couple of Twitter questions of the day that I fired off over the weekend. We'll bring you the results of that coming up in just a little bit. And also, we'll have a sports wagering segment to wrap up the hour here on WSBT Radio. want to remind everyone, since the Colts are playing Monday Night Football, we do not have Monday Night Football tonight on WSBT Radio. We can't air the Westwood One coverage of that game because we have to protect our sister station, 96.1 The Ton FM. They are the home of Indianapolis Colts football. So if you want to listen to the Colts and the Steelers from Lucas Oil Stadium, Tune in to 96-1, the ton tonight kickoff right around 8 15. All right, let's go through some headlines this afternoon, and then we'll weave right into some Notre Dame USC conversation as we start sports speed on this Monday, November the 28th of 2022.
1: The first pitch and uh, the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch of- into the windup and his first offering. A bit outside. He tried the corner and, missed.
4: and we start with the news that popped up yesterday. Chris Tarek, an offensive lineman, has flipped from the University of Wisconsin to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. He made that decision following the announcement that Wisconsin was hiring Cincinnati's Luke Fickle as their new head coach. Tarek actually stuck with the program despite the firing that took place early on in the season. But now Tarek is fighting Irish. He becomes the fifth offensive lineman in the class of 2023. And basically, he takes the seat left behind by Elijah Page, who recently flipped from Notre Dame to the University of Southern California. Tarek becomes the 25th member of the class of 2023 on three consensus has Chris as the 43rd best interior offensive lineman in the class of 2023. And regardless of position, player number 518 overall. For more on Chris Tarek, make sure you check out our friends at Blue and Gold Illustrated, their website, blueandgold.com. With the latest on a flip from Wisconsin to Notre Dame, the Irish have now flipped five players during this recruiting cycle. Interesting note today, Michigan backup quarterback Cade McNamara has entered the transfer portal. Now, he was a part of the class of 2019. Originally, he picked the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame before ultimately leaving and going to Michigan. Last year, McNamara, as the starting quarterback, led Michigan to the college football playoff. He threw for 2,576 yards. 15 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Before the season got started, head coach Jim Harbaugh said that McNamara and J.J. McCarthy were going to take turns starting to begin the year. So McNamara started the opener, injured his leg, and McCarthy has taken Michigan the rest of the way, including how about the big plays that McCarthy came up with, throwing the ball down the field, On Ohio State, who was all in on stopping the run early on, and McNamara, I should say McCarthy, burned them with those three long touchdown passes. JJ McCarthy, a guy that grew up with Notre Dame gear all over his bedroom. But he's a five-star quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines and He's going to be playing in the Big Ten Championship game against Purdue on Saturday and then be playing in the college football playoffs, maybe as the number two seed if they take care of business as they should against Purdue. So an interesting name to throw into the hopper if Notre Dame decides, and we assume they will, and adding a transfer quarterback this offseason, McNamara is an interesting choice since Tommy Reese is very familiar with McNamara during the recruiting process that ended up having McNamara leaving the Notre Dame class for Michigan. National news today, Hugh Freeze reportedly is going to become the new head coach at Auburn after a successful run at Liberty. He became the Liberty head coach after some... Away from the field issues when he was the head coach at Ole Miss from 2012 through 2016. Freeze takes over an Auburn program that, of course, has to deal with Alabama in state every year, the Iron Bowl. Well, Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss beat Nick Saban and Alabama in back to back years. So, Hugh Freeze is going to become the new head coach of the Auburn Tigers. Notre Dame basketball news. Marcus Hammond is a game-time decision for Wednesday's game against Michigan State, according to CBS Sports Basketball insider John Rostein. And he is reporting that Hammond, who has not played this year, is a game-time decision for the Spartan matchup. He would be a great addition for that game. Notre Dame has been going basically one player down their bench. Hammond would make it two as they take on a Spartan team that is and 5-2 on the season including a victory over the Kentucky Wildcats down in Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago. And one other note to pass along, boy, he was so good for the Chicago White Sox for so many years. Jose Abreu, the 2020 AL MVP, is signing a three-year deal worth around $60 million to join the world champion Houston Astros. Abreu, after a slow start, to 2022, ended up hitting 304 with a 378 on base and an 824 OPS. He's 35 years old, so they're paying for past performance. But the White Sox are going to watch Jose Abreu play against them on opening day, and Abreu will take the spot of Julie Guriel, who has been the Astro first baseman. So, Jose Abreu, a Houston Astro, you'd like to have him back if you're a White Sox fan, but not at three years, $60 million. That's A lot of cash for an age 36, 37, and 38-year-old first baseman slash designated hitter. So those are some of the news and notes from the sports world today. Now we transition to the Notre Dame-USC game at the Coliseum, Saturday night, a game that was right here on WSBT Radio with Paul Burmeister and Ryan Harris on the call from the historic L.A. Coliseum. Well, the Trojans beat the Fighting Irish 38-27. 38-27. to 27. USC just always seemed to keep them an arm length away in the game. There was never a moment where I felt like Notre Dame has got the momentum. They're back in it. Maybe that one moment you could argue at 17-7 at halftime. The Irish are going right down the field to start the third quarter. A chance to close maybe to within 17-14. But it looked like a mishandled RPO between Drew Pine and the running back, the ball hits the turf. USC recovers, and that just seemed like a massive missed opportunity for the Irish offense that was rolling against that USC defense. Didn't work out, unfortunately, and Notre Dame from there never caught up, losing the ball game to the Trojans, 38 to 27. After the ball game, fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman on the 11 point loss to their rivals from Southern California. Um,
5: as I just told the team, you know, I, I'm sure everybody's disappointed from me on down. And, and um, you know, you really you want to see how you compare against a team like that when you're playing at your best. We didn't play at our best. A couple self inflicted wounds, I believe, we turned the ball over twice. Um, the turnover on downs in the first half, you know, and defensively we didn't stop them. We didn't stop the run, you know, for them to rush for 200 yards, man. And that, that's not a formula for success. So um, they're a dang good football team, um, really good. Uh, you know, we have a really good football team, and that's just the disappointment. You want to see when two really good football teams both play really well, you want to see what the outcome is. But um, take our hats off to them, and uh, you know, wish them all the best.
4: Let's take a look at this ball game from three different storylines. Number one, the Irish did not control the line of scrimmage like they needed to to win this football game. Honestly, USC won on both sides of the football, which is extremely surprising to me. Had you told me the USC offensive line would have won that battle against the Irish defensive front, okay, I would have bought that. Would not have believed coming into the game that the USC defensive line would win a lot of matchups against that fighting Irish offensive line who has been playing so well the last two months. But the Irish did not win that line of scrimmage battle Saturday night. And as we know from Marcus Freeman, this program is built on winning the line of scrimmage battles, and it did not happen against USC. The avenue to victory for Notre Dame, was running the football early, often, and effectively. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I wouldn't have guessed this in a million years before the game, but USC ran for more yards than the Irish in this contest. That's a bad formula, and the formula ends up resulting in a 38-27 defeat. The Irish, 26 carries, 90 yards, 3.5 yards per carry, and a touchdown. You take away the sacks, they were right around three yards a carry. Estimate nine, actually I should say estimate six carries for 43 yards, never got rolling. Logan Diggs, 12 for 34. Chris Tyree, a couple of carries for 24 yards. But the running game just was not there. Meanwhile, USC, 39 carries for 204. Before the game, you show me those stats, I would have said Notre Dame had the 204 and USC would have had the 90. Not the case. Trojans averaged 5.2 yards per carry and four rushing touchdowns in the ball game. Austin Jones did a lot of the dirty work. How about 25 carries for 154 yards? My heavens. 6.2 yards per carry. And then the dynamic. Caleb Williams at quarterback only ran it nine times, 35 yards. But scored three times and had a couple of miraculous runs in the ball game to put Notre Dame's defense on their heels. Two oh four to ninety. Wow. Marcus Freeman, after the game, on the lack of his football team running the football effectively against USC.
5: Um. Yeah, I thought we would be able to run the ball more, but you know we were still efficient in what we were doing, and so. When you're not able to run the ball well, you know, as well as you want, you gotta be able to throw the ball. And I thought we threw the ball really well. You think about the first half, we had three possessions, really, you know? The first one was a three and out, trying to get a feel for the game. The second one, we drive the length of the field and we go for it on fourth and one, and we don't convert. The next one, we go down the field and we score a touchdown, you know? And and then the second half, the fumble of the very first series in their territory, obviously that killed us. Um, And then we score and score, And then we uh, throw the interception in a two-minute situation, but we had to get a stop defensively to to give our offense a a serious chance. We didn't do
4: that. The Irish first drive was to get a feel for the game. USC brought out their arsenal and put seven on the board just like that. Attack! 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 Worked out well for USC. They grabbed the lead and never gave it back in this ball game the Irish in catch up mode which was not what they were looking to do in this particular ball game you run the ball you shorten the game fewer possessions although what USC only had eight possessions in the ball game 38 points is a lot of points second storyline Caleb Williams was magical in the ball game i know there's a lot of people upset there's pictures on social media he had some A phrase put on his fingernails that were painted that were toward Notre Dame. That's his choice. Let's don't stoop to his level. And I'm not going to use that as a way to try to diminish what he did in the ball game. Made a bad choice on what he put on his fingers. But otherwise, 18 of 22 throwing the football for 232 yards and a touchdown. 35 rushing yards don't sound like a lot, but his ability to spin away from traffic, keep plays alive, that 19-yard run he had, it was actually 81 yards of running to pick up 19 yards. He was the difference maker, truly the difference maker. And that separates a lot of really good football teams from great football teams. When you have a dynamic quarterback that causes the opposition Headaches. And Caleb Williams is one of those few dynamic, elite guys in college football. Now, we cannot stress enough that Notre Dame was put in a tough spot before this game started. We knew Cam Hart was questionable in this game with a shoulder. He came out of the tunnel with a sling on his right arm. Not available for the game, but the big surprise... You could argue Tariq Bracey has been as consistent as anybody on the football team. He's your nickel corner. He did not play with a hamstring. We did not know about that injury. And I got to be honest with you, that probably would have changed my score prediction had I known Bracy was not going to play. You don't have heart and you don't have Bracy against this team. That's tying a hand behind your back. That's very, very difficult. I'm not going to make excuses because... That's why you have 85 scholarship players. you got to have depth, but we've got to be honest. Losing those two guys, and then you have to rely on guys like Mickey and Henderson more in this game, put a lot more stress on the rest of the football team. Tough, tough break. Here is Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman on defending or attempting to defend Caleb Williams.
5: You you see it happen over and over all year, you know, his ability to – Field pressure um, to spin out of it. We told our guys, he's going to spin. He's going to spin. He's work upfield. He's elusive, man. He's got huge legs. He's like a running back back there at times. But he's got an arm of a great quarterback. You know, he's really difficult to, to bring down. Um, you know, and, and uh, he's a special player.
4: Probably going to win the Heisman Trophy with C.J. Stroud and the Ohio State Buckeyes getting thumped by Michigan. Open the door for Caleb Williams to win the Heisman. And with what he showed against Notre Dame, some of those flashy plays, you have a feeling that Caleb Williams is going to win a Heisman and another Lincoln-Riley quarterback wins the Heisman Trophy. You play for Lincoln-Riley, you're going to win a lot of games, you're going to throw a lot of touchdown passes, throw for a lot of yards, and probably pick up a lot of hardware. He's got things rolling with his offense. And he gets difference-making quarterbacks, and that makes, pardon I say, a big difference. A big difference. Notre Dame's last difference-making quarterback was Brady Quinn. That's 16, 17 years ago. Turnovers killed Irish momentum in this game, down 17-7. to As I mentioned, you get the ball to start the second half, you're driving, and then the Drew Pine fumble ends that. Was picked off later in the game. The game was kind of over at that point. So USC committed. Four turnovers all year. They're one of the best in the country, taking away the football. Everything pointed in their direction in this game. They had the better playmakers. They won the turnover margin. They won the line of scrimmage. And when you lose all those, it's tough to beat a really good football team on the road. End result, Notre Dame is 8-4 and four. after the regular season roller coaster ride, ending with USC beating the Irish 38-4 to 27. More on this game coming up including a different point of view. Tyler Horka the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated blueandgold.com will join me coming up next on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: is in the air and while you might be ready for football and pumpkin spice flavored everything the pros at legacy want to make sure your furnace is ready too annual tune-ups help keep your furnace running safely and efficiently when you need it most visit
2: to have second down 13 on the notre dame 40 yard line notre dame four down linemen two backers five dbs Williams stands in the pocket, now backs up to the 50, still holding the ball, still looking, spins out of trouble to the 45, right side 50, oh, no. steps up to run 40, 35, middle of the field 30, oh my goodness, 25, 20, still going, and down at the 20-yard line. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Escape pressure by backing up, running to the right sideline, then reverse direction, eventually ran out to the left numbers, tackled at the 20-yard line after a gain of 19.
4: A lot of running for 19 yards, but also on display the playmaking ability of USC quarterback Caleb Williams. That's from the Notre Dame Radio Network. Paul Burmeister and Ryan Harris on the call here on WSBT Radio. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, 532 here in South Bend. Darren Pritchett with you, joined by my Game Day Sports Beat co host and the Notre Dame Football Beat reporter. For Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Tyler Horka, great to have him with me on this Monday following the Notre Dame 38-27 loss to the University of Southern California. Well, Tyler, we talk all the time about how difference-making quarterbacks can make up for weaknesses elsewhere on the football team, and we witnessed that here in South Bend for a couple of years with Brady Quinn, 15-16 years ago. Now, Caleb Williams is a different type of player than Brady Quinn, but they've got a pretty good football team. But, Tyler, how much better does that guy make that USC football team?
3: Man, that was fun to watch him from that press box, I'll say that much. And it was an open-air press box, so you get all of the emotions of what those USC fans were witnessing. And I mean, they understand how good he makes this football team, too, because all of the Heisman Trophy propaganda that they were putting on the screen at the L.A. Coliseum. The fans were chanting Heisman, Heisman. And it's all appropriate because he was making those types of plays that uh, only the best player in college football make. I mean, it was Johnny Manziel-like, and that's coming from a Texas grad. I'm able to, you know, compartmentalize how good Hmm. Johnny Manziel was for Texas A&M. It it was on that sort of uh, playing field because, I mean, you look at it, Drew Pine – actually has more total yards than Caleb Williams in that game. But when you watch the plays that Caleb Williams made, you you were sitting there in that press box and you're saying, yeah, USC is going to win by multiple scores because of that guy. Notre Dame cannot get that guy down. And, and he was scrambling for his life. And I, I think that is what makes a really good quarterback in this era. It's not like Caleb Williams was trying to run for 100 yards and a couple touchdowns. He didn't run for 100 yards, but – I mean, sometimes he ran close to 100 yards just to gain 5, 10, 15 yards and move the chains, and I mean, it was so impressive. And, and then, we haven't even really talked about his arm. He can make all the oh. throws, too. We only had four incomplete passes. You see some of these darts, and I mean, and so after some of those scrambles, he's able to make those throws on the sideline, kind of like C.J. Stroud did against Notre Dame in the season opener. So, I mean, to answer your question, he makes that football team really, really good, and I know they had a lot of transfers come in, and he was one of them. But he's absolutely him. In addition to Lincoln Riley being the head coach of that team now, the reason that this is an eleven and one football team on the cusp of a college football playoff berth, when last year it was four and eight and one of the worst teams in Power Five football.
4: Tyler, I know those type of players. There are not many of them in each recruiting cycle. Only a couple of schools, you know, get those dynamic players. Bryce Young at Alabama, C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, and Caleb Williams at USC are three examples. But this, to me, comes back to Notre Dame being a team that's been to the playoff twice recently. They are a program that is pretty much consistently now a top-10 football program, top-15, top-20 at the worst, and that's just been a missing piece for a long time. They've had good quarterbacks, but to me, the next step for this program— is finding and developing this difference-making quarterback. Now, maybe one of the next two they just got in these two recruiting cycles could fall into that. Let's hope so. But they've improved running back recruiting. They've improved wide receiver recruiting in this upcoming class. Isn't the next step finding and then developing that type of player that can win a game when maybe another part of your football team is struggling?
3: I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, Developing because what is the conversation with Notre Dame right now, given what we saw with Drew Pine and some of his inabilities to to be one of those elite guys at the quarterback position? The conversation is okay, yeah, sure, it looks like we're going to sign Kenny Minchie in a couple weeks, but you're not really going to start him Mm -hmm. as a true freshman, right? And then that goes back to the conversation of there are only so many true freshmen who are surefire starters right out of the gate. Caleb Williams was not even one of those at Oklahoma. You have to remember that he was sitting behind Spencer Rattler. Now, in hindsight, I think Lincoln Riley probably would have said, man, we should have given the keys to this guy that season from the very start. But again, that's that's hindsight. The point is, the the conversation with Notre Dame right now is, okay, who can we nab out of the transfer portal? It's transfer portal season. You're starting to see a lot of names go in, and all these Notre Dame fans are saying, all right, what guy? Who's the one that can we get? Who can start for this team in 2023 and, and kind of up the level, you know, the floor for this team. Because there was an offensive floor with Drew Pine. Who can come in and and raise that a little bit? Kind of like Jack Cohn did Mm -hmm. when you were sitting there last year saying, all right, is it going to be Tyler Buckner? Is it going to be Drew Pine? Oh, wait, let's go get this guy from Wisconsin for one year. But that all goes back to the word that you said with developing. You don't develop a grad transfer who's only going to be with your program for one year as a bridge guy. You have got to develop one of these guys that Tommy Reese – goes on the road and recruits and spends time developing a relationship with his family, with him, saying, hey, this is what I've seen you do on a high school football field. This is what I think you can do for Notre Dame at the college level. And then let that guy go for three, four, maybe even five years if he doesn't start right away. That's a development aspect. And and that's what Lincoln Riley has done in a short amount of time with Caleb Williams. Part of that development was sitting behind Spencer Rattler last season and, when things started going awry with Rattler, he said, all right, we're going to put this guy in. But he had those couple of weeks to kind of watch it from the sideline and learn. And maybe Notre Dame is doing that with a guy like Steve Angelli right now. You never know. Like, like I said, at the beginning of last season, nobody knew Caleb Williams. Yeah. He was a big time recruit from highly recruited area, but nobody knew that he would be this. Maybe nobody knows if Steve Angelli is going to be very good, but these are things that Notre Dame cannot leave up to, what if and chance and all these things. Lincoln Riley is doing it with a guy like Caleb Williams at Alabama. They're doing it with a guy like Bryce Young and look at all the guys that came before. him. They did it with Mac Jones. They did it with Tua Tagovailoa. So at Notre Dame, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with you. They have to get to a point where they actually do it with these quarterbacks. They have to recruit a guy, bring him in and watch him blossom and become one of the better quarterbacks in college football. Because until they do, they're not only going to miss out on the college football playoff. If, if they get there, they're not going to win college football games, college football playoff games, because yep. we've seen that. We've seen them lose to the better
4: quarterbacks. Tyler Horka, Blue and Gold Illustrated, my guest on WSBT Radio. Was the biggest surprise in Saturday night's game, the inability of Notre Dame to win the line of scrimmage battles?
3: Absolutely, and that goes both sides of the ball. Like you said, battles, plural. Notre Dame couldn't run. Notre Dame could not stop the run. And after the game, that's what I wrote about for Blue and Gold Illustrated and blueandgold.com was it was completely surprising to me to see Notre Dame only rack up 90, yard, 90 rushing yards with the sacks included. And then USC to rack up, uh, what, I think it was 204 yards mm-hmm. with the sacks included, sacks of Caleb Williams included. So, I mean, how many Notre Dame fans spent so much time saying, oh, Travis Dye is injured. You know, you hate it for the kid, but that guy has been dynamite all year, and maybe Notre Dame has a really good chance of making USC one-dimensional and and maybe winning the ballgame because of that. That didn't happen. You you had a a senior in Austin Jones who I know Lincoln Riley after the game said he was 1B to Travis Dye's 1A. That wasn't the case. If you go back and look at the numbers, he was a clear number two, and he was a pretty good one, averaging five or six yards per carry, but he had half as many carries as Travis Dye you give him 25 carries against Notre Dame and he goes for 154 yards. That was a huge aspect in that ball game because it didn't – as good as Caleb Williams was, it didn't have to be all Williams. He had that help on the ground, and Jones was gashing Notre Dame for 5, 10, sometimes even 15 yards consistently. I think he had 10 rushes that went for double-digit yards, somewhere around there. So that's almost half the time that he's getting the ball. He's taking it for first down yardage, and you can't have that if you're Notre Dame. And then obviously – Notre Dame goes as its ground go- game goes offensively, and it was not going. Logan Diggs had another one of those games where he only averages 2.8 yards per carry. Odrick Estime only ran the ball six times. It, it just got to a point where they got down early, and I think that was huge. In When they ran the ball, it, it wasn't the same feeling as, oh, we're running away from this opponent. They were running just to try to spell Drew Pine a little bit, and, and that is not... A case, a recipe for Notre Dame to win. We've seen the team play from ahead many times, and they look good doing it because at that point they can commit to the run. They couldn't commit to the run in the same way that they had in the five game winning streak prior. And I think USC kind of felt that. They sensed that. They said, hey, we have these guys where they want them. We have these guys in a spot that Notre Dame had not been in since Stanford on October 15th. They had not trailed in a game since then. So they got them down early. It was 10 to 0. At that point, USC kind of gained confidence and, like you said, controlled the lines of scrimmage.
4: You know, at the end of the day, Tyler, Drew Pine's numbers look really good in this football game. But one thing he's avoided in some of these big wins was turning the football over. But in this game... You're down 17-7. The opening drive of the third quarter is going perfectly. You're in scoring position. Maybe you get to within three with a touchdown, but unfortunately it looked like it was going to be an RPO, and Pine lost control of the football. USC recovered. Then down in the game, it's probably over at that point, but he forces a throw. You never throw late over the middle. He threw late over the middle, got picked off, and that for sure is end of the ballgame. So it was one of those nights where Drew had a lot of success throwing the football and he found Michael Mayer with a bunch of red jerseys around him and he fit it into some small windows. But those turnovers, especially that fumble, just seemed like that broke the camel's back.
3: Yeah, it was a game where he had to be perfect. And, man, he was close. He was about as close as it gets. And uh, what was it, 23 of 26? I mean, 88.5% is the second-best single-game completion percentage for any Notre Dame quarterback in program history. So that's impressive. But I knew at the point of the game at halftime where, where that game was at, 10-point lead for USC, Notre Dame getting the ball back, it, that game was going to come down to that drive and what happened on that drive. And you could say that even before the fumble because, look, like you said, Notre Dame is going down there looking really good. It's looking like a scoring drive. Seven points would be huge. You're right back in the ballgame. At that point, you put the game – on the type of trajectory where Notre Dame only needs to come up with one stop. That, that's what you're saying at that point, get one stop. We're right back in this thing with the chance to take the lead. Instead, Pine puts the ball on the ground. The USC offense goes out, probably a deflated Notre Dame defense trots back onto the field. Cause you're sitting there saying, Oh man, now we're still down 10. It looked like our offense was going to give us a little bit of a cushion to, to be able to play and say, Hey, we only need that one stop. But then USC goes right down the field, scores a touchdown. It's 24-7, to and that's why I was saying even before that drive started that it felt like that was the drive of the game. If Notre Dame was going to score a touchdown there, game on. If Notre Dame comes up empty, well, USC is going to go down and score most likely, make it 24-7, and that's just an insurmountable lead for Notre Dame to overcome the way this offense is constructed. Like I said earlier, they like to play from ahead, playing from 17 points down on the road against the Heisman Trophy front-running quarterback not a formula for success and in the end you see an 11 point loss because of that because Notre Dame just had way too much to overcome
4: this next thought some people may say it doesn't matter others may say you know what I was thinking the same thing but when ABC said that Notre Dame won the toss and elected to defer I actually thought for once that was the wrong decision And from this standpoint, Tyler, you've got a ground game that you're counting on to control this game, shorten the game, kind of put USC on their heels, pound them a little bit. And when you give USC the ball first, it just opened the door for them to get off to a fast start offensively, grab the lead. And now with a team that is so reliant on the running game, you're having to play catch up already in the football game. Did that ever cross your mind when the coin flip happened?
3: Yeah, it absolutely did. and kind of caught me by surprise. One, because Notre Dame actually won a coin toss. I don't know the numbers on this, but it seems like they they lose every (laughs) single week. But what do teams normally do when they win a toss? Yeah, they defer, and I I get that. But from Notre Dame's perspective, if that's what you're used to, if you're used to a team saying, yeah, we'll just defer and and put these guys on the field first, obviously that's kind of been your M.O. to go out there, run from the start. And I know there have been games where Notre Dame – does not have a good first possession. But against this team, it would have been
0: yeah.
3: huge if they're able to just kind of set the tone for clock management. Because what did I say uh, on our show Saturday, and I wrote about it at blueandgold.com in the hey Hawk article that we discussed. Mm-hmm. This game was going to come down to time of possession. I thought if Notre Dame wins time of possession, they've got a chance to spring an upset. If they don't win time of possession, well, that just means the Heisman Trophy frontrunners on the field more than your own offense, and that is not a very good thing if you're Notre Dame. And what happened in the end, I think it was about 35 minutes to 25 minutes USC's favor time of possession. And that, I mean, if you told me before the game that those would be the numbers, I would have said USC by 17, maybe USC by 21. So, I mean, it's to keep it within 11, of course, Michael Mayer gets the garbage time touchdown there, but it would have been a 17-point loss around there if not for that. So, Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Notre Dame probably had a chance to say, hey, let's just take the ball here. Maybe we ground out some clock at the least. At the most, we ground out clock and we go down, score seven, nothing. We have the game in our control. Didn't happen that way. USC's on the field, and boy, they made that first drive look easy. At that point, I'm I'm thinking if this is going to be the case throughout the rest of the night, and it was. So. It's a long night for Notre Dame, and that's what ended up happening.
4: Tyler, no matter what, it was going to be a tough night for the Irish defense taking on this USC offense. We knew Cam Hart may not play, and that ended up being the case. We mentioned on game day on Saturday, a picture of him on the field with a sling on his right arm. But we did not know about Tariq Bracy not playing in this game out with a hamstring, arguably, despite all the dramatics from Morrison. Bracy maybe has been your most consistent member of the secondary this year. No heart, no Bracey. That means more Mickey, more Henderson. That means probably a lot more headaches for that fighting Irish defense, and that turned out to be the case.
3: No, there were a lot of headaches. And, I mean, Jaden Mickey, is he's going through the growing pains. He was going through the growing pains even before this game. And then you throw him on the field as a starter against an offense that throws the ball as well as any in the country. They went at him a little bit, and – You know, he's playing that soft off the ball coverage. You you see Benjamin Morrison way closer to the line of scrimmage pre-snap. You see Jaden Mickey playing a little bit off because I think that's just where he's at in his development right now. He doesn't have the confidence or the reps to be able to say, hey, I can play press and stay with this guy, even if he runs a go. So he was playing off a little bit. There would be some third and medium situations for USC. And they said, hey, just go run a stop route on this guy just past the sticks and I'll hit you, and we'll move the chains, and that's what happened for for USC against Notre Dame. And absolutely, I mean, Tariq Bracy has been so good all year. Notre Dame played so much nickel in this game. As I, you know, we said on Sports Beat on the on the pregame show that that would be the case. Notre Dame was going to have a lot of five defensive back looks all year. When that's the case, you usually see Tariq Bracy in the slot. You've even seen him covering out wide. When this was when that was the case versus USC, you don't have that guy, and you don't have like you said, Cam Hart, your senior cornerback who's started so many games in the last two seasons has been a steadying presence and could have done some things in that game that Jaden Mickey just couldn't do. I mean, that, that, that's the definition of being shorthanded against a really good offense. When you're missing two of your best cover guys for, for a game like that, it was not very good news from the start for Notre Dame.
4: So, we'll wrap up with this. Are you okay with the possibility of spending a little time maybe in Jacksonville, December 30th, Notre Dame and the Gator Bowl <laughs> against an SEC team? It seems like that's the direction we're headed.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked it to have been the Holiday Bowl, but it, it seems like it's the Gator Bowl. Um, California, Florida, two really good options, if you ask <laughs> me. And I think, as my coworker Todd Burledge said at blueandgold.com today on an article on our website – there's, a, there's some intrigue in Notre Dame going against an SEC opponent. Now it's not going to be one of the top tier ones, but I mean, I, I saw some of the bull projections that my coworker Patrick Engel posted today and Mississippi state, you get the Mike Leach effect. Hmm. I think I even saw one for Ole Miss. You, there's yeah. been a lot of drama with, with Lane Kiffin lately. Uh, Shane Beamer, South Carolina is one. I think that, that that might be where it's trending the most, maybe Mississippi state or South Carolina. I think they've had a pretty interesting year. So I think you're going to get a good matchup. I think all of those teams are eight and four. Notre Dame's eight and four. Uh, it'd be a pretty good barometer to see if Notre Dame can go out against a pretty evenly matched team and take care of business. Because I think they have a good chance of beating all of those teams. But you know, the craziness of bowl season, you just have to actually go out there and do it.
4: So, what's on the docket the next couple of days? You're writing at Blue and Gold Illustrated, BlueandGold.com.
3: Yeah, I'll tease something that I was just actually working on right before you called and we did this segment tomorrow is the anniversary of Brian Kelly and oh. all of that stuff that, that went down a year ago to the day last year when it was first reported that he would be leaving Notre Dame after 12 years and going to LSU. I think it shocked a lot of people. I certainly wasn't ready for it. And that's what I'll tease. My article is going to be kind of a column looking back. Where was I during that? How did it all kind of play out? How did we cover it at blue and So I know people are, say they're sick of Brian Kelly, but let's be honest. Anytime you date someone for that long, you always have a little bit of interest. <laughs> what, are they, what are they doing now? What do I need to keep my eye on? So it's it's kind of fun to go back and look because I think Notre Dame fans like the position they're in now with Marcus Freeman, and they've moved on from Brian Kelly. So at this point, you know, you're at that point in the in the breakup where you can say, "Yeah, I, I can fathom, I can muster this and, and read this and and do it without, you know." punching my screen or whatever device you're reading it on. So it's, it should be a pretty good one. I, I, I would like all Notre Dame fans to read it.
4: You know, actually, I think Brian Kelly has a thought on the job you did with this interview tonight. I'm
3: in favor of uh, execution.
4: Maybe,
1: Maybe <laughs> our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. <laughs>
4: I like how you had that one queued up and ready to go. Uh, just It just happens to stay on my screen for some reason. Just a fingertip away. Never can get enough there of it. Go. And as we, let me close with this, because I saw a couple of Cincinnati people saying today that Luke Fickle turned down Notre Dame last year before Freeman got the job. That's absolutely inaccurate. Do you agree with that?
3: I agree with that. We, we did not hear okay. anything of the sort at blueandgold.com. But we have some pretty good sources.
4: Yeah, we, no one has heard that except maybe people in Cincinnati. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we will wait for the bowl destination, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you again soon here. Always appreciate your time and your analysis, and safe travels back to South Bend.
3: All right. I appreciate you, Darren. Thank you.
4: You bet. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Check out the great work that Tyler, Patrick, and Mike do on a daily basis, and the Mike Goolsbee Show is a very popular recap video, live presentation that they put on after each game, Mike Singer and Mike Goolsbee, and I understand it was a very spirited conversation in their post-game show after the USC game. I have not heard it yet, but I've heard that Mike got a little fired up about some of the things that are happening with the Irish. He's a former Irish linebacker, and apparently he he was pretty fired up in the post-game commentary. So I'm going to see if I can check that out during a little vacation time this week. All right, 5.53 is our time. I'm Darren Pritchett. This is Budweiser's Weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. In
1: 1922, we began broadcasting under the call letters WGAZ, the world's greatest automotive zone. Now, we're your home for the fighting Irish of Notre Dame and the best sports talk in South Bend. Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Celebrating 100 years of broadcasting in 2022. 5.58
4: on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Great to have you on board on this Monday. Darren Pritchett with you. Again, we were just talking about this in the last segment. There was a couple of Cincinnati-based stories that Luke Fickle turned down Notre Dame to go back to Cincinnati and that maybe he would only leave for the Ohio State job. Well, he took the Wisconsin job, but as Tyler Hork and I just talked about, as far as we know, our sources, that was not the case that Luke Fickle turned down Notre Dame. If that happened, it was kept beautifully secret, but I have a feeling that was not the case. Hey, a salute to the Purdue Boilermakers. What a weekend for Matt Painter's basketball team. They got a lot of young guards on that team, but boy, did they show up big out in that Phil night invitational as they took down Gonzaga. I mean they put it to him 84-66. And how about yesterday beating the Duke Blue Devils 75 to 56? The Boilermakers are off to a dazzling 6-0 start. That Smith Kid's going to be a, a dynamic player for the Boilermakers for many, many years to come. And with that victory by Purdue over Gonzaga and against Duke Purdue jumped up 19 spots in the AP poll from 24 to 5 and got 8 first-place votes. In the coaches poll, Purdue got 3 first-place votes, and they jumped up 18 spots from 23 to 5. So the top 5 in the AP poll. Houston, number 1 for the first time since 5-Slamma-Jamma was the thing. Guy Lewis Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, and the Houston Cougars never could win that championship. But they're number one with Texas two, Virginia three, Arizona four, Purdue five. From the Big Ten, Indiana is number 10. You've got Illinois 16. Notre Dame's next opponent, Michigan State, dropped eight spots to number 20. And Maryland very quietly having a really good year. They are 6-0, 22nd, Ohio State is 25th the Big Ten lost a lot of really good talent but they brought in a lot of outstanding freshmen and I know it's November it's not March but the Big Ten looks as strong as ever right now maybe even stronger than a lot of the prognosticators believe the ACC is a little thin on the ranking side as they have Virginia 3 Duke 17 North Carolina 18 in fact Carolina the worst drop ever by a number one team they fell from number one to number 18 in the ap poll after a couple of losses and up next they go to indiana to take on the hoosiers in the big 10 acc challenge and if you didn't heard this if you've not heard the news this is not a big surprise with espn losing any rights to big 10 games the acc big 10 challenge will come to a close after this season in 15 seconds a lot more headlines coming up in our Sports Beat update. Then back to talking more about Notre Dame and USC. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960, WSBT South Bend.
1: A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960, WSBT.
4: Eight minutes after six o'clock at WSBT, Darren Pritchett with you are being brought to you tonight by Budweiser, the King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you by the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. This holiday season, give the gift of hope to a hungry neighbor. Learn more at FeedIndiana.org. By Legacy Heating and Air a Cook family business. By Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with 3 locations to serve you. Their newest location on Lincoln Way in the Twin Branch area is now open for carryouts. Barnaby's the family inn. By South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949 by the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. We're also brought to you by Tim Growl State Farm Insurance. For surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget, call Tim at 574-232-9981. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Four Winds Casinos, your entertainment escape must be 21 years old. Please play responsibly.
1: One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
4: It's a Monday after a fighting Irish football game, so we come back with the five game balls from the most recent Notre Dame game, which was a 38-27 loss to the now fourth-ranked Trojans of the University of Southern California. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. At number five, let's tip our cap to a guy who continues to get better and better, making the transition from wide receiver to a member of the secondary. Xavier Watts is the recipient of game ball number five. Nine tackles in the ball game for Watts. Early on, he was in the mix to record an interception or two. Was in the vicinity of the nine tackles. He had five solos. Officially, was awarded one pass breakup in the ball game.
2: Four. Fine takes the snap Three man rush Stands on the 30 Throws to the end zone Dion Colsey Corner of the end zone Touchdown Notre Dame
4: Paul Burmeister on the call On the Notre Dame radio network Dion Colsey With a touchdown catch Late in the ball game Colsey Three catches 75 yards and a touchdown Even though limited opportunities This year He was kind of that guy that would come through with a third down catch the last couple of weeks. Well, he came up with a touchdown in this game against USC. Colsey, three catches for 75 yards. He had a total of three catches over his last two games combined. Good work by the sophomore wide receiver, Deion Colsey.
1: Okay, okay. Uh,
0: Number three.
4: Well, let's go ahead and give linebacker J.D. Bertrand a game ball tied for the team lead with nine tackles. Six of those were solos, and Bertrand was also credited for one and a half tackles for loss and the ball game. Yeah, USC ran the ball much better than we expected, but Bertrand had his nose in the action throughout the night. Number two. We move along to a guy who has been Absolutely amazing the last three years for the Fighting Irish.
2: Goes to the end zone, far side of the field. Michael Mayer, touchdown Notre Dame! Five yards deep in the end zone. One yard before he went out of bounds. Michael Mayer ripped it away from safety Max Williams. And Notre Dame now trails USC 10-6, 6-14 until halftime.
4: Man, oh man, USC had guys all over him. Credit to Pine for threading some needles to get mayor the football and mayor is just an absolute monster to deal with. 9 targets for mayor in the ball game. He had 8 catches for 98 yards and two touchdowns. The question is is that his final game in a Notre Dame uniform? It could be. He might bypass the ball game to try to stay healthy for the upcoming National Football League draft. Who knows? Mayer loves this school, loves his teammates, love to compete. Maybe he shows up at the Gator Bowl or wherever the Irish end up going. If it was his last game, Michael, it has been a pleasure to watch you the last three years rewriting the Notre Dame tight end record books. And he finishes the game against USC with all the attention in the world on him. Eight catches, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. Number one. And we wrap up another guy who possibly played his final game in a Notre Dame uniform.
2: Ball placed on the right hash on their own 40-yard line. Caleb Williams walks up to the line of scrimmage, shouts instructions, now takes the snap. Linebacker blitz. Looks right, now looks over the middle. Wonderful pocket. Standing on the 30, steps up. Down he goes! Sacked at the 30-yard line. He looked and looked and looked again, but Jason Adamalola. And Isaiah Foskey, were in. Loss of 10.
4: Game ball number one goes to the edge rusher, Isaiah Foskey. Five tackles in the ball game, Four solos. He had a forced fumble. Two tackles for loss. And one and a half sacks, which brings his career total, to 26 and a half. The biggest sack number in Notre Dame history. Isaiah Foskey. It's the ultimate game ball. and Really should share it with Michael Mayer. Both of these veteran players showed up in this matchup against USC. Unfortunately, not enough as the Irish fall to the Trojans, 38-27. That's our game balls for the USC game. It is 15 minutes after 6 o'clock. Coming up next, Irish head coach Marcus Freeman on the difficulties his defense had trying to stop Caleb Williams and the USC offense also the impact of Drew Pine's fumble on the contest plus we'll take a look at some bowl possibilities again it looks like the Irish might be doing a little chomping down in Jacksonville at the Gator Bowl we'll go through some of the projections coming up in a moment as weekday sports be brought to you by Budweiser continues on your home of the fighting Irish sports radio 960 WSBT
1: Listen to Budweiser's weekday Sports Beat live or on demand with our free WSBT Radio app. Just search WSBT Radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host Darren Pritchett.
4: Twenty minutes after six o'clock on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame football and men's basketball, the next Irish basketball game, Wednesday night, 8.45, pregame, 9.15 opening tip, the final installment of the Big Ten ACC Challenge, Mike Bray's Fighting Irish taking on Tom Izzo's Michigan State Spartans. If I'm not mistaken, this is the third time these two teams have met. In the Big Ten ACC Challenge, and they'll do it one more time as we wrap up this challenge. I think this is the 23rd and final year for what can be described a made-for-TV series. has brought ESPN a lot of good games through the years, but with ESPN no longer having the Big Ten Package, They are signing off on the Big Ten, of course. The challenge cannot continue. You might see an ACC-SEC challenge. I read today maybe the Big Ten and the Big 12 try to put something together. I think Big Ten fans would be really excited about that. There's some outstanding basketball taking place in the Big 12. You've got national championship teams the last few years from Baylor and Kansas, Texas Tech, Texas, Oklahoma on down the line. That would be a fun series. Hopefully, we will see something like that, and who knows who the Big 12 might be adding from all the football movement that is still to come, you would think, in the next couple of years. Maybe you bring in a couple of more teams from the West Coast into the Big 12. But the future is now, I guess, right now, and it's Notre Dame-Michigan State Wednesday night. Fingers crossed the Irish get Marcus Hammond back, the transfer guard from Niagara, who has not played a regular season game due to a knee injury. John Rothstein from CBS Sports reported today that Mike Bray is telling him that Hammond is a game-time decision for the matchup against the Spartans. If he plays, that means they'll probably go seven deep in the game. If he doesn't play, you'll probably see the same six we have had the chance to watch Over the first six games, of course, the Irish just didn't shoot it well in their last game against St. Bonaventure over the weekend. They look to bounce back against Sparty Wednesday night at Purcell Pavilion, a game you can hear right here on WSBT Radio. Well, for the Irish defense, they knew coming in that USC was going to be a handful. They entered this game number three in the country in scoring, averaging over 40 points per game. Well, the Irish held them slightly under their season's average, but... In eight possessions, USC put up 38 points. And for the Irish defense, they were going to have to try to contain Caleb Williams. You really can't spy him just because of all the weapons that they have in the passing game. So Williams at times was going to break free, and he did, unfortunately, keeping some plays alive, keeping himself available to throw, and at times running the football. He did the kind of damage you were worried about in this ball game, after the contest at the Coliseum Saturday night, Irish head coach Marcus Freeman on the play of his defense.
5: You know, when you're not able to stop their offense, it's extremely difficult. And we weren't able to do that um, at critical points of the game day. There was a couple times we got to stop, but at critical points of the game, we weren't able to get a stop.
4: And unfortunately, those stops just did not happen often enough especially with USC controlling the line of scrimmage and again a shocker USC outrushes Notre Dame 204 to 90 in this ball game and it was going to be even more difficult for the defense to shut down Caleb Williams when you had two key parts of your secondary out when you have to go up against Washington Addison Williams those dynamic wide receivers for USC, you're going to need as many skilled cover corners as you could put on the field. And unfortunately, Notre Dame did not have the services of Cam Hart. His right arm was in a sling out on the field before the game. And we did not go know going into kickoff that the Irish would not have the services of nickel corner Tariq Bracey. That is a major loss to the secondary. He was out with a hamstring Injury, And so you could almost argue with those two losses, the Irish were kind of hamstrung on defense against that USC offense.
5: You know, especially Cam at the field corner, you know, Jaden Mickey, um, young, talented football player. But, you know, it's hard to come in and uh, start your first game of year versus, you know, USC and an explosive offense. But he played his heart out. Um, but you miss those two guys. They're valuable members of the defense
4: young guys on the field, and you just can't replace those two talented players. That is a lot to overcome. And unfortunately, the defense could not overcome the great play of Caleb Williams in this ballgame. But you think back to the third quarter, there was a glimmer of hope for the Fighting Irish down only 17-7 at halftime. Since they won the coin toss and deferred their choice to the second half, Notre Dame received the opening kickoff of the third quarter. And Drew Pine was leading the Irish right down the field. The type of momentum that that drive had, it felt like they were going to score seven. Worst case, they were going to pick up three, but the way they were moving the ball, it looked like seven was coming up at the end of this drive. Notre Dame was in scoring position, but unfortunately, this play really kind of changed the way the rest of the game was played as the Irish were really coming from behind for the remainder of the evening. And that play was the Drew Pine fumble in the third quarter. And 10 on the 23-yard line.
2: Another give to Estime. Oh, oh they fumbled. fumbled. They fumbled the ball. And USC recovered. USC recovers on the near side of the field at the 26-yard line. Rayland go forth. As Drew Pine put the ball in the belly of Estime, they did not
4: get that mesh. The ball hit the ground. And go forth, pounced on it. Boy, USC has lived off opponent turnovers this year. They don't turn it over, and they force the opposition to cough it up. Now, in that spot, USC had nothing to do with the turnover. That was an unforced error by Pine, Esteve. I'm not sure who the coaches put at fault. Whatever the case may be, the ball went on the ground, and that drive that looks so promising – and it would have put a a big jolt into that Irish sideline and maybe put a little nervousness into the crowd at the Coliseum. Instead of it being 17-14, Notre Dame turns over the football and USC's offense went back on the field, took control of the ball game, and and really never gave the Irish much hope the rest of the ball game. After the contest, Marcus Freeman on how that fumble changed the ball game.
5: Yeah, it's a 10-point game at the time. We get the ball, um, we're driving downfield, and I think we're in between the 20 and 30, and, you know, we're rolling. And QB and, and running back exchange, and those, are, those can't happen. It can't happen. Um, you know, if they, they do something spectacular and, and they create a takeaway, it's good for them. But for us to, to give the ball away on a, a self-inflicted wound, of QB, running back exchange, those are inexcusable.
4: Yeah, that's a killer, and that was a defining moment. Unfortunately, in Saturday night's game, seventeen seven at the time, the game ends up being thirty eight twenty seven in favor of USC. So, Notre Dame tried to go on that great run and finish at nine and three. They come up a game short, eight and four after the zero and two start. And let's remember, after Stanford, this was a three and three football team. It looked like it was a team that might go seven and five. But the win over Clemson moved him up a notch and ended up with a record of eight and four. I picked the Irish to go nine and three at the start of the year. I felt like they had the ceiling to be maybe a 10-win football team, but when I made those predictions, it was all based on I just didn't know what the Irish were going to get out of their passing game. And at that time, I was referencing Tyler Buckner. We know how good he is athletically, how he can change a game running the football, but is he going to be able to be a consistent thrower of the football? That's why I was hesitant to go any better than 9-3. and three. Now, we never truly got to see what Tyler Buckner can do getting injured in the Marshall game. And I didn't pick 9-3 and three based on the fact I thought Drew Pine was going to be coming in to start the rest of the year. That's what happened. But I think this football team is more talented than 8-4. and four. But with the way things worked out, when you lose to Marshall and you lose to Stanford, they're kind of an 8-4 and four football team, unfortunately. Very easily, very easily, they could be a 10-2 and two team. And I think we would look at this offseason maybe a little differently. I don't think it would change the way we all feel about the alterations that need to be made on the depth chart at the quarterback position to ensure they have the best chance to have success next year. And again, I'm going to stand by what I've said going back to late September. They really need to add a grad transfer quarterback, and I am not giving up on Tyler Buckner. I am not giving up on Drew Pine or Steve Angeli. That's not the reasoning behind it. You need as much quality competition as you can muster on this roster. If you are an experienced quarterback that's had good success where you have played, But you have a chance to play on the big stage at Notre Dame. You see there is an opportunity in front of you to start here on a team that could be a playoff squad. This is a wonderful destination for someone. Now, if that grad transfer comes in and Tyler Buckner beats him out, awesome, even better. If Drew Pine beats out that grad transfer, fantastic. If the grad transfer is number three, That means these two quarterbacks have developed during the offseason and have the capabilities, hopefully, to be championship-level quarterbacks. That's not where they are right now. But just because you bring in a grad transfer, that doesn't mean I'm giving up on the guys on the roster currently. But based on what we have seen, there needs to be an extra body on the depth chart that can not only compete, win the job, and play at an extremely high level. You need as many dynamic football players as you can find at all positions on the football team. And the Irish right now, for what we know, don't have that dynamic guy they can count on. Maybe Tyler Buckner develops into that guy. We know he can run the football and change a game that way. Can he be a guy that completes 63 65% of his passes and get the ball downfield and play action? You know, unfortunately, we don't know that based on the injuries that he has gone through, including this year, the left shoulder injury. If he is that guy, and again, you bring in the grad transfer, no harm done, none whatsoever. But you need as many choices as you can because you just can't go into next year without a high-level quarterback able to lead this football team because they have a chance to be really good even with Meyer Michael Mayer, excuse me, and Isaiah Foskey, Jared Patterson, and others going to the NFL. There's still a heck of a nucleus to build around, and you got some really interesting wide receivers coming in next year in the class. I'm not sure if they can be developed and put on the field right away. That's not been the norm, but maybe that will be the case next year. But if you're going to have those guys ready to go, you better have a guy that can get them the football consistently. This is going to be a fascinating offseason The transfer portal, Cade McNamara, the old Notre Dame commit who flipped in Michigan, just went into the transfer portal today. That's intriguing. There's some interesting players that are going to be out there. We'll see if any of them fit what Notre Dame is looking for. I mentioned some bowl possibilities. Let's run down some of the things that the experts, we put those in quotation marks, that break down the bowl possibilities each week. And I've jotted down a few. And most signs point toward Notre Dame going to the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, which is December 30th, a three thirty kickoff. The Sporting News has Notre Dame taking on Ole Miss. I'm just not seeing that. I think Ole Miss is going to be farther up the SEC pecking order. But Lane Kiffin against Notre Dame, yeah, that would be quite interesting. Also, CBS Sports. And Action Network, they have Notre Dame taking on Mississippi State in that game down in Jacksonville. Mississippi State, an 8-4 football team, 4-4 in the SEC. They wrapped up the regular season by winning the rivalry game, the Egg Bowl, winning an Oxford over Ole Miss 24-22. Will Rogers, he is a guy that leads that powerful passing attack that Mike Leach runs, and Rodgers this year, a 6'2 junior, is thrown for 3,700 yards, 34 touchdowns, and six interceptions. They're a team that lost to Georgia at home, 45-19. They lost to Alabama, 30-6. They lost to Kentucky, 27-17, and a road loss to Brian Kelly and LSU, 31-16. Their best win, their most recent game against Ole Miss. Also... A handful of people have Notre Dame going to the Gator Bowl, taking on South Carolina. Both of ESPN's analysts and Athlon has Notre Dame taking on South Carolina, who has two of the more impressive wins late in the year. After losing at Florida, an average SEC team, the Gators beat them in Gainesville 38-6 to on November 12th. Seven days later, the Gamecocks, at home, hammered, Tennessee 63 to 38 Spencer Rattler in that ball game the transfer from Oklahoma he had a 438 yard six touchdown performance. Then last Saturday South Carolina won their rivalry game for the first time in 7 years against Clemson. South Carolina won 31-30. Rattler 360 passing yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. He has not had the big year people hoped in Columbia, 16 touchdown passes and 11 interceptions, but he saved some of his best ball for two of the bigger games, beating two top 10 teams at the time, Tennessee and Clemson. So maybe it is Notre Dame against South Carolina In the Gator Bowl. But it looks like Notre Dame versus the SEC. 636 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. What an amazing
1: fall for Bethel Pilot Sports. This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day. From Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
4: I'm Darren Pritchett, 640 at WSBT. Let's do a quick segment here. Our Twitter question of the day is from two questions I posted yesterday on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. The first was, what was your biggest takeaway from the Notre Dame 38-27 loss to USC? I offered four options. Number one, lack of a running game. Number two, inability to stop the run. Number three, need more offensive skill. Choice number four, the Irish were outcoached. A lot of voting on this question. Might have been our most popular question of the year. Tied for third was lack of an Irish running game and the Irish being out coached. That got 7.1% of the vote. Second place, need more offensive skill, 22%, and a runaway winner, inability to stop the run at 63.7%. The second question Notre Dame started the year 0 2, finished 8 4. What best sums up your feelings about the Irish regular season? Fourth in the voting at 2.9%. The season was a failure. Third place, a solid season, got 16.5%. Disappointing season, got 32%. And winning, good finish after a bad start, 48.5%. We thank you, as always, for voting on Twitter on my account at 960 Sportspeed. Sports wagering next, 642 at WSBT.